This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we have an exceptional guest, Mr. Jonathan Rosenfeld from Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers. Hello, What's going on, man. Hey, how are you guys? Good to see you. Good. Doing good. Doing good. You know, I think probably a lot of people are interested as to why we would be having an attorney on an insurance show, but I think that actually this we do whatever being, we want. That's why. Yeah, this may actually end up being one of the best episodes we've ever done because I think that a lot of times. This is like anything else in life, Jonathan, right? I mean, I think that a lot of people that are in my peer group probably feel like we should have an adversarial relationship with a lot of people in your peer group and that attorneys are bad and people are out to screw employers or other drivers or whatever else. And so my goal over the course of the next you know, little bit of us talking is to get rid of that perception and help people see kind of what things look like from your point of view. Because again... You know, I don't know that people who do what Kyle and I do always slow down to ask the questions and understand and and try and figure it out. Now, we can talk a good game and we can say that we're doing that in the sales process and we're doing that with our prospects. But, you know, claims are a natural part of my industry and obviously they're also a natural part of yours. But before we get into all of that, why don't you just take you, you just did a great job of talking about the mix of business in your firm. Talk a little bit about that. And then also I was intrigued by how you're using some of the digital stuff to grow, to grow and scale. Yeah. I mean, well, first off, you know, uh, I'm a personal injury attorney based in Chicago. Uh, you know, I was born and bred in Chicago. I guess I was too stupid to leave. Uh, but you know, our business really has expanded, you know, really across Illinois, really, uh, out of state, you know, the, the lines are really have sort of blurred, uh, a little bit with the practice of law, particularly for some uh, mass tort type cases, for some other, you know, cases where there's sort of a national scale involved. But, you know, we handle everything from your typical, you know, auto case to slip and fall cases. Uh, we do workers comp. But really, the the growth of our business is really uh, a little bit with the, with the higher level cases, you know, cases where, you know, frankly, uh, the, the client has a more significant injury, uh, you know, it's really impacted their lives and, and we can really, really use our skills uh, to, 
to maximize the value of their case. So a lot of our cases now, you know, we still handle a fair amount of, uh, you know, traditional PI cases, but we also handle, you know, a lot more uh, trucking cases where the injuries tend to be more significant. We handle nursing home cases where, you know, typically the cases have, have a larger value. Uh, and then we also handle a fair amount of mass tort cases and clergy cases. Um, and that's sort of, you know, really across the, the country. Um, but in terms of, you know, growing our business, you know, one of the things that we do and we spend quite a bit of time on is, is really digital marketing. Um, you know, getting our message out to uh, prospective clients. And, you know, one of the things that we do, and I think obviously, you know, if, if you see a lawyer, they, you know, today's world, I think everyone's got a website, but what we try to do is we try to be uh, a little bit more responsive to the actual questions our, our clients have or prospective clients have. And we try to really go deep, uh, super deep with the, the content. Um, you know, uh, I'm always sort of a, a believer, hey, if, uh, you know, if, if my competitor is five pages of content, um, I'm going to do 50. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but the, at the end of the day, um, people, consumers, uh, potential clients have become much, much more sophisticated, uh, than they were in the past. And they're doing quite a bit of research, uh, before they ever pick up a phone. And I found that, you know, I'm shocked, frankly, you know, talking to people, how much knowledge they have about their situation. Um, you know, they know the the sort of the nuts and bolts of it, whereas in the past, you know, they were sort of sometimes there was dialing for dollars, uh, sort of speak. Um, and they really didn't have much uh, background or context for their situation. So today's consumer is much more sophisticated. And that's something that we really embrace. Uh, we want them to be, you know, educated. I mean, it's so much easier because of these, right? You know, cell phones. I mean, everybody's got everything right at the tip of their fingers. It's, it's interesting because when I think of like personal injury, you know, advertising and stuff like that, I think of billboards. I think of the commercials that are on the daytime television. But what you're talking about is something totally different. Look, I, well, mean, I think it's a, interesting too, yeah. man. Here, here's the thing. How do you track a billboard? How do you track yeah. a TV ad, right? I mean, maybe if you ask somebody how they heard about you and you they, they remember, they give you the information. But I mean, I would argue that historically it's been about brand awareness, name recognition, whatever else, right? So I think it's ingenious that, and I don't understand why attorneys wouldn't market digitally because it's a much easier process for you to determine whether or not your ideal audience is receiving your message. Are they interacting with you? It gives you the opportunity to learn from what you're, you're seeing in the data and then crafting your message in a way to fine tune and make it better. I mean, I, I, I'm glad to to know. I mean, from a marketing perspective, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. I, I don't know why more attorneys don't gravitate toward that. Uh, I, I can't I can't speak for the uh, for the all the other attorneys out there. And a lot of frankly, you know, you would be surprised. You know, the the level of of quality content really has just jumped drastically. Really, in the past two, three, five years. Um, a lot of people, frankly, they don't do it because sometimes it's easier to write a check uh, than to come up with content and to really, when I say come up with content, I don't mean just, you know, writing a, a 300 word blog post about, 
you know, the importance of, you know, hiring an attorney after a car accident. I'm talking about really in-depth, you know, content uh, about, you know, maybe the damages you're entitled to, maybe pain and suffering you're entitled to, and really get into the case law and everything else. Um, you know, that's really what differentiates, you know, content on the internet, um, especially in the, the legal uh, space. There's just so much clutter that you really have to di differentiate yourself. And that's, I'm sure it's the same with, with other areas as well. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of times people just, you know, in particular lawyers get very frustrated when they don't see immediate results with their websites, with their digital marketing, and they just sort of throw the towel and say, screw it. I'd rather, you know, pay, pay whatever it is, get the ad on the radio, get the billboard up and, uh, you know, there is probably a place for it. You know, it's just a different different way of skinning the cat. Well, the problem is it works, right? I mean, and that's the whole thing. Direct mail still works. You're only going to get a 1% to 2% response rate if you're lucky. Like, if you're best in class, you're going to get a 1% to 2% response rate. But you're going to get a response rate. And, and you're 100% right. I don't think that that's isolated to attorneys. I think it's that the anybody same. Yeah, anybody yeah. out there that's trying to do digital marketing and content-based marketing has to have a level of patience to allow all of the stuff to just even recognize that content exists, let alone getting into search engine optimization and everything else. I mean, the blogging game and the content creation game, video and otherwise, is a long play. You have to be willing to dedicate yourself on a daily basis for a prolonged period of time, or at least maybe not daily, but on a regular cadence for a prolonged period of time in order for that to catch and stick. And what I see more than anything else is people giving up literally right before the flywheel catches. And I've been back to be the beneficiary of that. I, I, I've had multiple producers over the course of my career that we had on a content distribution and blogging strategy that did it really good for like two or three months. And they didn't see immediate gratification, instant gratification from it. And so they quit. And then two or three weeks later, leads started coming in from all of the stuff that they had done and they were no longer in the organization. So I basically got free leads for it. But I mean, I've been doing content marketing for almost 20 years at this point. And, you know, it's funny because people will say, well, I, you know, I, I see your stuff. You know, you came out of nowhere. No, not really. Um, <laughs> if you go back, there's videos of me. 15, 20 years ago, doing the exact same thing that I do today. I just never quit. And a lot of other people did. Um, you know, I think, you know, it just goes to show that you got to just be persistent and really, you know, there is no, it sounds, this sounds very, uh, I, I guess, uh, primitive, but there really is no end to this. You know, it, you, if, if your competitor is also creating content and, you know, you have to do just do more. Uh, and every day, it doesn't matter the industry, uh, you got to, you know, it, it, you got to just get out there and you got to do it because if you don't, you know, the guy down the street is going to be doing it. So, um, it, you know, it is a long term play and, you know, there is no, you know, just set it and forget it. You know, I am shocked. You know, we do uh, we revise Web pages uh, sometimes six, eight, ten times. Uh, before we'll sort of let it let it sit, and even after we let it sit, it's not it's not done. We got to go back to that, you know, in, in four months, six months, a year, you know, and probably you know revise, refresh the content, you know, get some new stats in there, probably improve on it, you know, 
everyone else, everyone's gunning for that, you know, top slot, you know, and if you're not updating the content, some other, other person will. I think that lack of patience that you mentioned, David, is the same thing that we were talking about earlier, how people are, are a little bit more educated. It's the, it's the phones, man. I mean, like if you can get a notification back instantly on, on just about anything, you know, you get texts and, and people's patience is just, I know I'm totally guilty of it. I mean, it's, it's just gone, <laughs> it's gone <laughs> down so low. Um, but I, I think that's, I think that's a big, a big part of it. I'm glad I was not a parent in the eighties. Right, because when I was a kid, we were sent outside to play. There were no cell phones, dude. You know, yeah, so there was, I was no just call waiting. About that. No call was, waiting, my friend. If you, if somebody yeah. was trying to get a hold of my mother, they were going to get a busy signal. Busy tone, yeah. You know, and, and or, I just think get, about all of the things now. Yeah. Like I know pretty much my kids are at daycare right now. I can log in and watch on my phone what yeah. they're doing while they're at daycare. I don't do it because I I I, I just can't. It, I would be gone in that rabbit hole forever, but. You know, I was just it, talking it, about this with my grandmother this past weekend, man. It's like you you knew when the streetlights came on that you had to go back home and it was dinner time. You knew that like you had a a three a, a three yard limit on either side of the house of where you were playing, and you know it, that's just how it was. And now it's like yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, we didn't come we didn't come home to get bottled water and drink it with our pinky up. We drank from a. <laughs> Garden hose. hose. I didn't even know that water didn't have a rubber aftertaste uh, to it <laughs> until I was like 15. Something, something just hits different with that cold hose water, man. <laughs> Tastes better. It's, cra- it? it's crazy. But no, I mean, the thing it does. is, you know, but the thing is now also, uh, you know, as a business owner, you know, you have to realize that, you know, sort of the, the level of impatience out there um, when it comes to, you know, whatever whatever industry you're in. You know, I am shocked, frankly, and sometimes disgusted by the fact that, you know, I'll have people call me at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, we're, we're really we're really uh, methodical about returning calls and everything. But, at ten, you know, 10 minutes later, they're calling back. Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you call me? And I mean, at some point, because it, <laughs> it's it midnight, happened. bro. Uh, yeah, I mean, should, I mean, you should. Uh, I got better things to, you know. I mean, maybe if it's a good case, yeah. of course, I, <laughs> I'll do it. But no, the truth is, is that because like, I'm three, because I'm three bourbons deep, and I'm sitting on my patio, like. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I look, I look at it this way, man. There's like this many people that I'll take a call from at right. that time of night, you know, right. business related. Yeah, sure. People don't respect that, you know. I. I have to ask you, I, I've got to believe that some of this impatience, and, and I don't I don't want to say that it's, I don't want to make a blanket statement. I just think it's a contributor. But I have to believe that in the lack of patience and the instant gratification and the demand to have information now does somewhat play into people reaching out to an attorney, right? Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't reach out to an attorney if they're injured at work or in an auto accident or whatever else. Do I think everybody should? Absolutely not. But unfortunately, the way things have gone, they have no choice in many cases. I've seen so many mismanaged workers' compensation claims. I can comfortably say that from this side of the table. I've seen horrible adjusters on auto accidents that just get it in their mind, they're going to do things one way and one way only, and they just run over people. Or 
the one thing that drives me nuts more than anything else, lack of communication, period. There are no yeah. emails. There are no phone calls. There's no expectations set. There's no plan to manage the expectations that are set. And people freak out. I mean, if you think about it from a logical perspective, how many major negative things typically could happen to an average person over the course of their lifetime? One, maybe two, possibly three if they're really bad drivers or danger prone or whatever. But for most people, this isn't something they're doing every single day or have experience doing. They know because they watch TV and they see how, the, how it works in television shows and movies. And so they expect a certain level of, I don't want to say decorum, but just execution, man. And, and we coach our employers when we bring a new a new account into our firm, I firmly believe that almost every workers comp case is decided in the first 24 hours, how it's going to go down. If you don't, if you've got an injured worker and you don't have an employer that owns the company or somebody that's in a position of leadership that reaches out and, and shows them that they truly care, that they they're there for them. You know, this is why we have workers comp. This is how it should work. Please know that if at any time something's not happening the way you feel like it should, my door's open to you. And then get them to actually follow through with that and take the calls and put the, the procedures in place, the timelines and all of that stuff. If you execute that, quite honestly, Jonathan, nobody needs you, right? I mean, well, if, the, if, the, if the employer's doing what they're supposed to do. I think you've and done the insurance company. No, look, I mean, there's there's so many people who reach out to to my office who are like, you know what, I had this, you know, I got hurt at work, uh, I was in a car accident, and it, I would be, I'm shocked at how many, you know, months will go by, frankly, uh, where someone may have just been, you know, they may not have been getting their checks if they're on workers' comp, you know, their TTD checks or something like that. Or maybe, you know, they, they've got an injury and they, they're trying to go, get an appointment with a doctor and the insurance company won't approve it. As they're, you know, they know damn well that at the end of the day, they have to do these. These are all statutory things. These aren't optional, you know, uh, events. You have to pay for someone while they're off work. You have to give them their medical care. Um, but people, you know, it does you don't have to be a very sophisticated person uh, to realize when you're not getting treated the right way. And, you know, a lot of times people are just so fed up with the process. They're so frustrated by the fact that, you know, the insurance adjuster will not call them back. You know, just common courtesy. You know, hey, I'll, I'll right. have an answer Being for you. Being treated like a human. <laughs> yeah, at, at the end of the week. Um, and, you know, it sort of, it builds on itself. So maybe, you know, several months will go by. And at that point, you know, any opportunity, frankly, the insurance company had in terms of resolving the case, probably definitely for less money than they would if an attorney got involved. They've they've ruined that and they've thrown that out the window. And not only is it are they going to wind up paying more, but it's also probably they're going to actually incur substantial costs with uh, you know their own legal department, and it's just probably going to be dragged out you know quite a bit longer than it could or should have had it been resolved between the claimant and the insurance company. So at the end of the day, I'm in really in full agreement with you and that and that but that's really goes to I would say uh, maybe 50 maybe 50% of the cases um, you know the other 50% where there there is you know ambiguity in terms of the severity of the injury or there is a 
you know, a contested liability aspect of things. Of course, those types of cases will uh, probably be litigated, you know, indefinitely. But there's a very substantial percentage of these cases that could or should be resolved, you know, really without an attorney involvement. Um, and, you know, uh, the other thing that, you know, I just want to sort of, I'm talking about this, it sort of just comes up is that, you know, insurance companies, you know, need to see, also see, you know, frankly, that, you know, there's so many attorneys out there. Um, and, and, and frankly, there's a lot of cases that we reject, you know, where it's soft tissue injuries, where it's, you know, it's, it's just not a, a case that we're really going to really have an impact on. The client is never going to be really satisfied. They're never going to be thrilled with the outcome of it, no matter how great of a job we do. Um, and those are cases really that we try to flag early on as, as sort of potential problem cases. And we really try to steer clear of those. However, if once we reject those cases, uh, there's plenty of other attorneys who will go and scoop those up. And, you know, and then it's just, you know, again, it's just it amplifies the problem because those like little cases are a lot of times the cases that from a, I imagine from a insurance company perspective, those, you know, small cases are really the ones where, you know, you spend a lot of time and money on. Yeah, it's no different than actually writing the accounts for small business. The smaller the account that you write, you actually work more because you're dealing with and I'm not I'm not throwing off on them, but you're dealing with a less sophisticated buyer, right? It's somebody who's wearing 15 hats in an operation. They own the business. It's a price-based sale. You're never going to be able to go in and talk value prop, risk management, total cost of risk reduction, any of the things that we do in our firm. But you're going to spend a ton of time answering questions one off. They're the one that always wants to pick up the phone and ask and expect you to answer right away. Or they'll send you an email, then call you to tell you they sent you an email and text <laughs> to let best. you know they left a voicemail and sent an email, right? And it's it's like I've explained all of this 300 times. <laughs> but but it, to your point, it's, it's the smaller stuff that adds up and ends up eating away. And, and I have to believe those are the, those are the more costly because accidents are going to happen, right? I mean, we're going to have the shock loss. You're going to have the multi-million dollar settlement that, that happens. That's not commonplace. It's all of this other stuff that becomes a distraction to the daily grind that eats away at your schedule, your profit margins, and everything else, which I think is, is one reason why it's wise for you to gravitate towards mass tort because it, it, it's fishing with the net, in my opinion, as opposed to fishing with a, a rod and a reel. And you're able to cast wider and get your messaging out and help more people that way. Why don't you explain a little bit about what mass tort is in, in the concept so that people listening understand? And then I want to tie it together with, with your marketing approach to, to get in front of these people. Yeah. Well, basically, you know, uh, mass tort is really uh, any situation where there's a, a large group of people who've been impacted by a similar event or incident. So, for example, you know, we're doing right now, we're doing a lot of uh, Zantac uh, cancer cases. Um, you know, unfortunately, there are some contaminated lots of Zantac and, uh, you know, people have developed some cancers related to that. Um, the cancers are very, it's not like, you know, head to toe cancer. They're very specific cancers related to that, to the digestive tract. So pr primarily the esophagus, intestine, colon, um, very, very, uh, Kyle, did you take Zantac? <laughs> I did not. I'm a Pepsid guy. 
<laughs> okay. Well, I mean, Kyle's having those. Kyle's having those exact symptoms right now to some yeah. degree. I'm well, good. I'm I'm back on track, baby. Well, I'll give you my you got no my Zantac number. For you got me. my number, so we'll, we'll yeah. hook you up. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but no. Uh, but you know, so we handle cases like that. We also handle you know uh, you know some clergy cases where people have been in the same you know the same group, the same parish, or whatever it is. Um, and those from a from a business perspective, frankly. Those cases, not only, uh, you know, from a, a singular perspective, do they have more value, but collectively, you know, it's really, it's very similar amount of work. You can almost scale your work uh, to a certain degree because, you know, I'm not, you know, if, if someone has a slip and fall case and we file a lawsuit, we are going to go to court and we're going to go, you know, a lot of times in, in Chicago and Illinois, they basically have a judge who is assigned the case from the time it's filed through the time it's resolved. And that judge basically, you know, he essentially or she babysits that case through the duration, which in, in Cook County in Chicago, it's usually a 24 to 36 month period. So it's a lot of time. It's a lot of babysitting. It's a lot of handholding to make sure everything gets done. And it does get done. Uh, but from a, a litigation perspective and from really from a, a business owner's perspective, it is extremely time consuming. It is extremely labor intensive. Um, sometimes, you know, you can really take advantage of the fact uh, in terms of the time investment, you can you can try to set up multiple case managements for the same day and same time. But, you know, ultimately, you're probably doing two, three, four, five, maybe at the most. Whereas with mass torts, you know, you the cases are centralized. Uh, they're typically, you know, uh, there's a they're in federal court. They're centralized in federal court. There's sort of a, a standardized uh, intake form that the court uses for each case, uh, and the cases are consolidated for the purposes of discovery. Um, so if there's, you know, if there's a thousand people involved, um, basically, you know, in terms of the defendants, they're going to have, you know, those same defendants are going to be deposed one time. Uh, whereas in a single event case, you know, you may take, you know, 10 or 15 depositions on a case. Um, also just from, a, again, from a, a time management perspective, you know, what we do with mass tort cases is we'll send out a, a video update sometimes, or we'll send out a newsletter update, letting people know what's going on with the case, where they stand. A lot of times we just say, hey, this is not gonna happen until, you know, the fall. Uh, you know, and, and generally people are very, you know, appreciative. They're very, uh, you know, responsive to the fact that, you know, hey, we're giving them an update. We just don't know when these things will get resolved. We don't know what the exact time frame is on these. And I would say the overwhelming majority of these people are very understanding, appreciative. Um, and if, you know, for example, uh, you know, if we send out a, uh, an email to a few hundred people who are involved in these cases, we may get, you know, 10, 15, 20, you know, res uh, responses to the email or calls to our office um, where percentage wise, it's a very low percentage. Um, no, we're happy to talk with anyone. Okay. And I, you know, obviously, you know, everyone's got a different way of interpreting things and, you know, who am I to say it's wrong or right. But again, you know, I find that when you answer people's questions, you know, and you sort of, you know, address things head on, hey, these are the issues in the case, it goes a long way and it really streamlines your workload as opposed to just, you know, having, you know, 500 single event cases where you have to, 
you know, basically do that individually for each person. It's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of mentioned earlier, you know, these people, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're impatient, you know, they want to know what's going on. They want to know, you know, what the process is. And I get it, you know, from a, from a, the perspective of an injured party, I get it. It's frustrating as all hell to, you know, pick up the phone and say, Hey, what's going on with my case uh, today? And what's different today than it was six months ago or a year ago. Um, and unfortunately, in you know, particularly over the past couple of years with COVID, we've had we've had a lot of people who are who are very frustrated where we said not much. Um, and we just try to be as direct with them as, as possible. But at the end of the day, I get it. You know, people, you know, if you're hurt, if you're out of work, you know, you've got stress, you know, you've got, you know, it goes on and on and on. It's sort of a domino effect. But um, and ultimately, you know, you got to be responsive to these people. But, you know, we try our best, but uh, it, there still is frustration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it it goes without saying too. anything involving the legal process now has an even more rigid framework around it. Right. Then then if you're just if, if I'm dealing trying to deal with something as an employer, obviously, I have certain rules that I have to follow. Also, you know, if I'm the insurance company, there's there's statutory obligations that I have based on what the law says I, I need to do specifically with workers comp. That's why workers comp to me is a breeze because it's no real secrets as to how things should be handled or what should be done. It's all basically outlined by the state laws. And as long as you follow that, then you should be okay for all practical purposes. But it, it goes back to the, uh, once you get the attorneys involved, it's going to take forever. No, it's not really that you get the attorneys involved. It's the legal process itself. I mean, every time something has to be filed and then you have to wait for a response to that. And then how are you going to go back and respond to the response or whatever else? Or even just getting going through. And look, I'm, I am the furthest thing from an attorney. But I mean, just dealing with like requests for production and having to get all of the information you need just to go through basic discovery and all of the other stuff. This is this is not just as simple as a phone conversation to say, hey, I got hurt at work and my shoulders messed up. I went to the doctor and they said my rotator cuff's torn, uh, but my, my boss isn't helping me out any. Can you can we file a lawsuit? You know, that's just not how it works. You know, I'm shocked, frankly. Uh, now, I've never worked for an insurance company. I never will. Uh, you know, but I'm frankly shocked at how many cases come into my office where I know I'm like, this case should be resolved. You know, and again, most of these people are not they're not shooting for the stars when it comes to a settlement. They're not they're not out there to squeeze blood out of a rock. You know, they're out there to try to pay their bills and really try to get really what's reasonably entitled, they're entitled to under the law. And their expectations are really, you know, other than some crazy instances, most people's expectations are really much in line with really the the value of what their case is. But I'm shocked at how many legitimate cases get denied or, you know, or the, the, the insurance companies basically just butchers the opportunity to resolve a case, maybe definitely for less money, um, just because they drag their feet, you know, and in some cases it may just be, uh, you know, I get it. There's a process for everything. You know, a lot of adjusters, they can't just write a check for a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and there's a process, you know, to get that authority and everything else. But I will tell you, 
that uh, someone who's who's you know way smarter than I am at an insurance company should be looking at these things and saying, hey, you know what? Let's get these cases moved. Let's get them resolved, and let's just pay on them and be done with them. Because if we don't, you know, these cases are going to drag on. We're going to have to cost a defense. You know, the hundred thousand dollar case, you know, may quickly inch into uh, a mid uh, six figure case um, if that person, you know decides to get another surgery or, or they, you know, uh, decide, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe it doesn't, maybe I don't really, f I can't go back to work. Uh, you know, when people have the opportunity to sort of think sometimes that can be really detrimental, uh, to the outcome of a case from the perspective of an insurance company or an employer. Yeah. I want to go back to something David said and, and just kind of touch on it again for all the producers out there that's so important if you're not doing this with your insureds you really need to be is is making sure that in your you know safety program protocol whatever after the injury happens after the first report of injuries done whatever that they go home they go to the doctor like you have got to have somebody that's a higher up from the company reaching out just to see how they're doing like it doesn't need to be anything else like they just need to check on them and make sure they're okay. Like, can you imagine if you're an employee of a company and you get hurt working for the freaking boss and that guy doesn't call you or gal doesn't call you and say, you know, hey, I heard you got your finger sliced off today. How are you doing? Like, that would drive me in. That's that's where all of these come from. I mean, like, and so I was working for a golf course in, in, um, in college, okay? And it wasn't an injury, but it very well could have been. I was working one day, and well, think about your guy that, at the marina that we insure, and how that whole yeah. thing went south. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But like, so I so I was working, and we, we can talk about that one too. But you know, I was working at this golf course, and it was me and this other kid. I was like I said in college, so young, and I like look out the the cart barn. You know, was kind of blocking the whole side of my view. I'm standing in front of it. I can't see around it, behind it, anything. I just see what's right in front of me. I look out in the parking lot and it looked like there was kind of smoke, like somebody had done donuts in the parking lot. And I see like three or four guys are on the side of the building looking all the way to the back, like with their phones out. It's like recording. I'm like, what the hell? Go around the side of the building. There's a fire on the, on the back hill. It's all pine trees and pine needles. And it's like, it's, it's like, the, I mean, it comes right up to the edge of the car farm. So like, you know, me and the other kid start scrambling and we grab some shovels and like, you know, there was a, there wasn't a hose back there, but there was an ice machine. So we're throwing like ice. We end up getting the fire put out. Like this could have caused hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage, if not more to all the property in the cart barn, the building itself, all the carts, the batteries, everything. Fire department shows up, you know, does their thing, whatever. I don't hear shit from any of the managers, anybody for like five days. Nobody called to like be like, "Hey, dude, thanks for um, you know allowing us to still have a <laughs> have a building. Like, thanks, thanks for not letting the building burn down. Like, you know, and it, it, it was just insane to me. But that like pissed me off. So I can't even imagine if like it would be a situation where I would have got hurt doing something, <laughs> and then nobody reach out for four or five days. It's it's comical. So. Like if, if you're a producer and, you, and you're not having that conversation with the insured on the front end, that that needs to be part of their process, have put it in the checklist so that they can't forget about doing it. It's right there in front of them. 
You're messing well, up, man. Well, I mean, I'm shocked, frankly, at how much bad blood, you know, sometimes comes up, you know, after an incident, you know, uh, you know, all it takes is really just someone, you know, whether it's a manager or whoever it is, you know, being, it's not even being disrespectful. It's just ignoring the person. Um, you don't have to be, you know, the most educated person. You don't have to be, you know, have, have a, a law degree. You don't have to have a PhD, but if you're not treated well, people are very, you know, attuned to that. And not only is it really it taint the, the, the relationship with the individual, but frankly, it, it trashes the, the whole culture at a company. Um, you know, today, yeah. you know, everyone talks to each other, you know, everyone's got, you know, they do group text or, or you know, whatever group, group chat. And, you know, if, if other employees sort of catch wind of the fact that, you know, Hey, these people don't give a crap about me. Um, it really ruins the whole culture. And I'll tell you what, that person who, you know, may have just sort of brushed off a, uh, an injury or may have sort of, you know, ignored it or whatever, you know what, they're much more apt to go to the doctor. They're much more apt to, you know, get a claim going if they're just not treated well. Um, you know, and so I think it's super, super, super important just to be decent, you know, um, and sort of just do what you're legally responsible for doing. Um, as, as David said, you know, this, this is pretty black and white, you know, this so a lot for workers comp, there's not a whole lot of gray area, you know, uh, and it just do what you're, you know, you're obligated to do and don't try to, you know, sometimes these, these companies, I think they try to, they think they're saving money by delaying a payment or something like that. Well, guess what? You know, it's like the that. people who ignore the credit, the collections agency, right? It's like the people who owe somebody money. The collection agency calls every single day. They know they owe the money. The collection agency knows they owe the money. They just want them to pay them the money and they let it go and let it go and let it go. And either the, you know, it's something where their car gets repossessed or they end up having a lawsuit brought up where they're sued in court have a lien put on their assets or whatever else. When at the end of the day, if you would have just answered the damn phone and said, look, here's the situation. I got downsized. I know I owe the money. I can't afford to pay you more than $5 a week. I know I owe you 500 bucks. I don't plan on it taking two years to pay you back, but can I just give you something to keep you from calling me so that you know, in good faith, I'm trying to do the right thing. 99% of the time that solves the problem, right? Mm -hmm. But people don't want to answer the phone. They don't want to have the conversation. And then it turns into something that's 10 times worse than it should be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yep. I, I'm just shocked because, you know, they, they save a few hundred dollars by, you know, uh, you know, a doctor's appointment or something like that. And believe me, that just sort of precipitates the whole situation where the injured worker all of a sudden he gets a real bad taste in his mouth. And he's like, you know what? Screw these people. Not only am I going to go right. hire an attorney, go to the doctor, I'm probably going to get that surgery. Uh, you know, there's people, I mean, I know, this, you know, I wouldn't, you know, suggest this to anyone, but believe me, when they're, when people are sort of pushed into a corner and they say, Hey, you know what? Uh, these people aren't trading me the right way. Yeah. Uh, they're concerned, frankly, that if they don't get that surgery, now, uh, they're not going to, their employer is not going to really be very accommodating, you know, in six months or whatever it is down the road. So they wind up getting that surgery and that surgery is a big deal. That's a big number for, you know, for these, for these, uh, uh, work comp cases. So again, I, mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, you, you got to just sort of, 
you know, try to do some damage control early on, get involved, call the people. And, and it really does go quite a long way towards, um, not only just resolving the case, but it also really helps quite a bit in terms of improving the morale of the company and keeping your, your, your employees, you know, today, you know, there's so many, uh, people, you know, companies who are looking to hire people. Well, you know, having an, a, a seasoned employee and having sort of a, a seasoned group of employees is really, really more, now more valuable than ever. And, you know, anything you can do to keep these people happy is definitely going to benefit your bottom line. I can't tell you how many people I talk to on a daily basis that have, you know, been saying for months and months that the labor pool is so shallow and that they can't find the right people. And you're a hundred percent right. I mean, if, if they get, if like people talk, you know, like if, if, if there's a culture problem at a company, people know about it and it's very easy to find that information. Um, so I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Well, I think employers do some things, they do a lot of stupid stuff to get themselves in trouble. And one of the ones that just really gets on my nerves worse than anything else is their lack of understanding of what return to work programs really are designed to do and getting people back light duty. Now, I am thankful that I don't live in Illinois because you guys only have three days to get somebody back and we have seven down here to keep the indemnity off of the experience modification factor and, and help control costs. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you go into a prospect and you ask them about light duty or return to work and their idea of it is counting paper clips or unnecessarily filing files. For some reason in their mind, when somebody gets injured on the job, this is now an adversarial relationship. So I'm going to be as punitive to you as I can to punish you for getting injured while you were on the job. That drives me nuts more than anything else. And we hear it all the time when we're going into prospects. Now, it's our job as, as agents who understand what it's really designed to do in terms of getting somebody back, integrating them into culture so that they're not sitting at home, so that they are, aren't isolated and by themselves, and so that they are contributing in some way, shape, or form. You know, it's not a punitive deal. You shouldn't punish somebody who got injured at work. Now, I mean, I might argue if they did something really, really stupid, you know, that you told him 10 times not to do, like your kid, don't put your hand on the stove, don't put your hand on the stove, and then they put their hand on the stove. Yeah. But I mean, still, when you're going to bring somebody back, bring them back. And I mean, that's one of the things that I pride myself on is taking a look at a company's operations and then helping them to develop really good return to work roles and responsibilities. What can somebody do? You know, maybe they can work in the call center because that's an easy light duty job. Maybe they can help learn, you know, you can also the call use center this part is, is, is great too, because I mean, that's the fastest way to get somebody back to feeling better and, and wanting to do their actual job. Oh yeah. Job. I mean, if you've got a, if <laughs> like, you've got a marginal, if you've got somebody who's injured and you're not really sure how injured they really are, put them in the call center. That'll tell yeah, you how, how right. injured they were. Cause they'll be ready to leave after a day, but, but it, it's a not good, a punitive deal, right? That you don't put them there for that reason. You put them there because in most cases, 
in, in especially with the service contractor side of things, right. they almost all have call centers and they almost all have a hard time staffing them. So if you can make it a light duty role and you can roll people in there, now you have educated people who are the face of your company when they're going into people's homes every day that are now that first person that they talk to when they call in with a question or a problem or whatever else. It actually solves a problem and makes it better for everybody if you mm -hmm. do that. And I think that that's our job. If we're going to go in and we're going to talk about ways to reduce total cost of risk and take a holistic approach to risk management in an organization, looking at what the roles are inside that operation that you could modify just enough to make it to where it's a good light duty role. A good example is over at the resort in Orlando, the, the big resort that I work with that didn't really have formalized light duty and they were losing revenue because they couldn't get the rooms turned quick enough to, to rent all their get all their rooms rented out to the point like 25, 30% of them weren't getting rented because they couldn't get them turned because they had housekeepers that were out. Well, when you take the time to ask the questions and understand the roles and the responsibilities of the housekeeper and you find out that the first hour of their day is spent stuffing amenity bags and refilling chemical bottles, why don't we just make this a light duty job where somebody can have everything they need. They can sit at a cart table, a card table rather. They can put stuff the amenity bags. They can fill the, the squirt bottles that with the chemicals that they need. And then they can take and put it on the housekeeping staff's cart. So when they come in the next day, instead of taking an hour to do all of that crap, they can hit the ground running and across 15 or 20 crews. Now, all of a sudden, all the rooms are able to be rented and you're, you're a more profitable organization as a result. Business owners get so caught up in the minutia, in the details that they can't take that big picture view and realize this is more than just insurance premium. It's more than the claims dollars that you're getting paid out. There are soft costs and profit, profit leaving your organization if you don't handle this stuff the right way, period. On wow. a guaranteed cost workers comp policy, what do they care, right? They don't care because yeah. the insurance company pays for everything. They care when they get their mod a year later and, the, and a bad year has showed up because they didn't didn't do what they needed to do. But at the end of the day, they don't feel it in real time. And, and insurance agents are so interested in going out and selling Sell people paper yeah. and not solving say, you just, problems. All you did was ask contributing. Them all you did was ask them questions in that scenario about about their operations. Okay, why can't you turn the rooms around? What are the you know what's the cleaning staff doing? What does their typical day look like? That probably took you maybe ten or fifteen minutes to get it's to the most. bottom to, to right to get to the bottom of what the issue was. Anybody can do that, but you're not going to do that if you're going in just trying to sell somebody insurance. Well, and I think there's another side to the coin too, in, in this this exact same um, relationship for me. But they felt like anytime anybody was injured, that there was no recourse for the employer, meaning that somebody gets injured, they bring them back, they could do whatever the heck they want, they could behave any way they want, they could come to work when they wanted to, skip when they wanted to, not because they had doctor's appointments, just because they were an injured worker and felt like they were in complete control yeah, of the situation. Right. And you find that many of these companies don't have a defined, a defined set of responsibilities in the event you're injured at work in their employee hand book or their safety manual that says it's your responsibility to keep us up to date on your schedule and when you need to go to doctor's appointments so that we can make the appropriate arrangements. It's your uh, it's your responsibility to bring the information back to us so that if we need to modify duty, we can do it. And so the thing is, when you don't have those boundaries set or the just the framework to operate under, it is. It's the Wild West. It's a free-for-all out there. And, and people are going to run all over you. But 
I don't. I, I want to be very clear that if you're an employer and you have people who get injured at work, they don't just get the keys to the kingdom because they had an injury at work, right? I mean, you need to have good HR practices and good risk management practices, and if you do, then you know. Again, this is all going back to common sense, right? Have policies and procedures. Follow your policies and procedures. Don't deviate from your policies and procedures. Period. If you have all of that done. We wouldn't even be talking about this, but I'm interested, you know, Jonathan, from your perspective, because I do feel like, you know, I think that number one, many of the employers that we talk to are predisposed to believe that every workers comp claim is fraud. I don't subscribe to that. That's not, that's not the case. I've seen too many issues with really bad injuries to think that every workers comp case is fraud. Now, Mm -hmm. are some of them due to stupidity? They absolutely are. They're due to people who don't follow the rules, bypass guarding, do things they shouldn't do. It's just the nature of the beast. When you work with human beings, some are smarter than others. End of story. But, you know, I do think that there are that there is that subset out there that is going to play the game, man. I mean, let's face it. Workers comp statutory. It's not complicated. I can understand it. So there are a lot of other people that are way smarter than me that can understand it. And when they learn the rules, they know how to go down that road. So now it's a chess match. Every time you engage with an employer, you need to know your moves so that you're not countered against with, with something like that. But in and I, I know this is probably putting you in a weird spot, but you know, if you had to guess, if if you're comfortable answering the question, yeah. if you had to guess, of all of the like workers' comp claims, you know, injury claims, things like that, what percentage of it do you think are actually somebody just out fishing? Way smaller and way less than uh, than most people would 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 think. Um, no, I, I know, would agree I, with you. I, I think it is and, a very small amount. I mean, honestly, I mean, I would guess, frankly, it's, I, and I'm not even saying this, uh, I would guess it's less than 1%. Uh, you know, oh, wow. I will tell, I will tell you, frankly, you know, I mean, there are people who like, there's a difference between, you know, completely manufacturing, uh, an incident and manufacturing an injury and maybe exacerbating the injury. There, there's a difference there. You sure, know, right. yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the times, you know, hey, look, you're in a car accident. You know, I've, you know, I've seen people in, in car accidents who, you know, they may have a herniated disc. Um, and I've seen a lot of people with herniated discs from a car accident, but a lot of them are, you know, they, they strengthen the area, you know, they, they do the, the physical therapy and they sort of, you know, they move on with their life. But the truth is, is that every, every person's, physical condition is different at the time of an incident and the law, it doesn't really matter. You know, they don't penalize you for being, you know, out of shape. They don't, the law doesn't penalize you for having prior injuries. Um, you basically, you know, the, the law is you basically take your, the plaintiff as you find them at the time they were injured. Um, but from a, you know, from a, an attorney perspective, you know, I'm not, I'm frankly, I don't want cases that are, are you know, coin, coin, coin tosses. I want cases that are sort of, you know, slam dunk in terms of liability and damages. And I want to use, you know, invest my time and, and energy and money into maximizing the damages and maximizing the value on those more serious cases. Um, you know, I, it's just not, you know, ethics aside, 
uh, it's just not a good business model to have um, to try to, you know, squeeze, you know, these small cases and try to, you know, I, I see attorneys and I'm not saying that, you know, every person is, can sort of choose his or her own medical treatment. But I see attorneys who may have a, a rear end accident or something. They send, you know, they refer the 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 plaintiff to, uh, you know, a friendly doctor. Uh, you know, they do some physical therapy before, you know, what they get injections before, you know, you know, you know what they're on the operating table. And that case, you know, all of a sudden it snowballs and that, you know, fender bender accident is now a, a substantial case. Um, and it's very difficult to defend a case where someone has, uh, you know, extensive medical treatment. Um, now, would I recommend to anyone uh, to go out and, you know, have a, a fusion or, or some, you know, serious surgery if they absolutely don't need it. Of course, I mean, I, I would, I'd be crazy to, you know, tell people go, go out and get that fusion. You know, you may get a few extra bucks in your pocket, but the truth is, is that, you know, I think there are people who certainly, you know, uh, who obviously who do need it. And I, but I also think that there's, uh, some attorneys out there and some, you know, medical, um, practitioners out there who see, you know, maybe a, a corporate, uh, you know, account on the other side, and they may, you know, push them forward a little bit. Um, but as far as, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess fraud is what you're talking about. You know, I hear about it, you hear about it, you read about it occasionally. But again, I, I really sort of think those cases are few and, and really far between. Um, there's just too much on the line uh, from a, a lawyer perspective to really get involved in a case like that. I mean, of course, there, there's bad there's bad actors everywhere in every industry. Um, but, you know, am I going to risk, honestly, not even my reputation, am I going to risk my law license to to try to, you know, <laughs> squeeze out an right. extra few bucks on a case? No. I mean, it's it's just, it, it, like I said, ethics aside, it's just stupidity. Um, so I, mm. I don't think it happens nearly as much as, uh, you know, employers and insurance companies like to say. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I would have probably put it at more like between 5 and 10%, but, you know, I am from the insurance side of the table, so I have to be a little <laughs> bit more liberal in my thought process. And, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a, a fair number of fraudulent cases. But in my in my experience, it's never been that the actual injury itself was fraudulent. To your point, it's either exacerbated or, in my opinion, exaggerated to a certain degree because somebody yeah. gets out. They're out for a couple of weeks. They start feeling comfortable, get a new routine. You know, oh, I can go to the gym at one o'clock instead of going in the you know morning before work. And next thing you know you know, carriers got surveillance on them and they're out like in a moving truck <laughs> or whatever. And so it's, that's where my opinion comes from. But I, I, I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think it's nearly as bad as what most people have it out to be. And I think, I just think it's a really interesting study to see how employers react toward injured employees. I mean, that's a very broad statement, but it's an interesting study to see. And it's something I get to see every single day. You get to see it after the fact. I get to see it in real time. Look, I mean, I've had people who, uh, you know, they're involved in a serious, you know, whether it's, you know, some type of auto accident or whatever. And they say, uh, you know, I, I used to be uh, an Iron Man or whatever before the accident. Yeah, and uh, me too. You know. I've run three marathons. <laughs> I don't look like it, but. And, you know, I, and now I can't even, I can't, I can't do anything. 
And, uh, you know, and then there, there's, then they, you know, we've had cases where they have done surveillance and they're, they're taking the transmission out of their car and, and, uh, it doesn't look very, very, right. very well for, uh, for a back injury or whatever it is. But, you know, again, those cases are really the exception to the rule, you know, today, you know, I just, I really think that, you know, there's that sort of the, you know, I think the insurance industry has really done a great job, frankly, of, of scaring people straight uh, to a certain degree and really getting people sort of on task um, because, you know, maybe their case, you know, was worth, you know, legitimately worth, you know, $100,000, dollars $300,000. And then, the, you know, they get the surveillance video and, you know, then there's taken whatever they can get. So I think people realize, you know, hey, you know, in today's age, you know, if they're posting stuff on Facebook, uh, you know, if they're claiming that they're, you know, disabled and they're in pain and they're, they're, uh, you know, doing a bodybuilding competition on, and posting on Facebook, it's going to come back to bite them. Uh, and so, you know, I, again, I just think that people are, are a lot smarter than, than maybe David does, but, uh, <laughs> that, that's just my take on things. So true story. I, <laughs> you said bodybuilding. We had a guy that apparently had sprained both of his wrists over a weekend and literally posted on Facebook him maxing out his bench press with 400 pounds on the bar like the day after he was allegedly incapacitated due to his severe fall, right? Obviously, the sarcasm is very thick there. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I just think it's I think it's interesting. We, you know, here's here's what I take from this whole deal. Number one, if you're an attorney and you're not digital marketing, you're missing the boat. But Jonathan appreciates that because it makes it easier for him to scale his business <laughs> if he's not competing with you in that sandbox. Number two, you know, exactly what I thought, man. I mean, employers are pretty much in control of how this stuff happens. You know, it's not not even the insurance company because truthfully. If the insurance company's dropping the ball, but the employer's on top of their game, they're calling me and I'm getting involved, or I'm already involved to begin with, and I'm making sure this stuff's not happening. Mm-hmm. It's just it's laxed it's laxed operations on all all fronts. So we could beat this horse all day long, but I'm going to be respectful of Jonathan's time. We've been going for almost an hour now, and I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Jonathan, anybody wants to reach out and find you? How do they do it? I mean, Hello? is there a billboard they need to drop? No, there's not. There's not a billboard. <laughs> Not yet. Not there yet. may no. be in <laughs> when, when when more people start, you know, doing the digital marketing. But no, uh, anyone wants to reach me, you know, the best way to get a hold of me is on the website RosenfeldInjuryLawyers.com. You know, we also have a ton of content up on Facebook, uh, not Facebook, excuse me. We also uh, YouTube, and we also have got some podcasts up on all the podcast uh, platforms. But. Um, you know, if anyone's got a legal question, you know, God forbid, you know, someone's injured, reach out, call me. If I can't help you, I can find someone you can. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, uh, you know, the call is free and, uh, we look forward to talking with people. There you have it. Good deal. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on today for everybody else. Hopefully you got a little bit of insight as to how things work on the backside of some of these claims so that you can go out and be a better advocate for your employers and for your employer's team when you're at the point of sale and you can help them with the risk management piece that we harp about so very much on this podcast. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.